0: From the studios, as we have now returned to my kitchen table after being in a undisclosed location that obviously we couldn't tell you about, commonly known as just another room. Welcome to How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the Osip Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you here in Episode 3, the 1st of December 2017. Nice to have you with us. Uh, as we uh, as we talk to you about sportsmanship and what's going on right now, uh, we uh, welcome in today for the rotating pundits chair, uh, a man who has made an appearance on this show already, the chairperson of the board of directors, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, welcome back. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: Oh, just peachy keen. That, great yeah so
1: hey and this table works now this
0: table does work we didn't
1: have to we didn't have to fix it this no, time no
0: this time you came in you looked at it you just did a quick little wobble and you're like oh this is fine yeah this is absolutely fine in fact
1: that cut our workload in half
0: we we got this stuff done so much quicker this time as a result of that oh yeah you know we had plenty of time to just sit and look at walls and think things that are really dumb like you like food I like food we
1: should probably get food we
0: just got food we'll get we more did. food we'll get more food yeah sure yeah you ever try and uh, explain food to people who are really, really hungry? Like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's an appetizer. You're thinking of the food we eat before we have our food. No, 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 you're thinking of dessert. That's the food we eat after we have our food. Yeah, we eat lots of food.
1: First world problems. Yeah,
0: that's a Jim Gaffigan joke, too, so he can't sue me now.
1: Okay, so, good. Yeah,
0: good. So. To give, him, give him props. JimGaffigan.com. Okay, so on today's episode, uh, we're going to focus on... A topic that we briefly mentioned uh, many moons ago, and that is sportsmanship in the media. Uh, we're going to try and tackle a couple of different things with regard to that. Um, similar to our most recent episode with uh, Sean Goff, we're going to have a little bit of a debate where we're going to take some different sides that are not necessarily going to be um,
1: well different points of view. Exactly. I would it's
0: say. not going. We're not going to be opponents per se, but we're going to try and. Uh, offer a couple of different opinions that uh, might seem like they're going to butt heads, but in reality, they're just kind of coming from two different ends of the spectrum. Right. Um, but before we do that, we will want to uh, do our regular regular seg- uh, segment on this show that we sometimes think is called "This Week in Sportsmanship," which would be abbreviated to uh, Twists, But instead, since this is a, a two-week show. It would be this fortnight in sportsmanship, which is uh tiffus. So great. Again, if you if you'd like to help us name the segment, we would love to have you uh, participate in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And 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 before we do, TIFUS, uh, should remind you that if you'd like to participate, uh, contribute to to our podcast, many ways you can do it. Uh, email is podcast at osipfoundation.org. Facebook is facebook.com slash foundation and Twitter is at foundation and use the hashtag how you play the game we'd love to have you contribute send us your comments your thoughts we'll read them on the air and uh, offer you our opinions on them and uh, we really we really want you to be involved in this as well because that's the only way that we're going to advance as a society when it's it a comes community to effort yeah when it comes to this, the topics of sportsmanship we don't want to just be preaching to you about what we're talking about. We want you to get involved and, and apply it. So, exactly. So without further ado, let's uh, let's talk about what's been happening uh, in this fortnight in sportsmanship. Sounds good. And we got we got two stories that I, I just want to quickly address. Um, the first story comes from uh, the most recent football game between the New York football Giants and the San Francisco 49ers. Um, I'm looking at an article from NBC Bay Area. Um, and I, I could have gotten this article, the story, from anywhere, but NBC Bay Area was the only one that had a printable option. Ironically, which I was kind of like, really, you know, but, trying to do away with paper. Uh, yeah, keep those trees up, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, what what happened is that there was a brawl at uh, Levi Stadium, um, which is where the Niners play, and uh, it resulted in uh, at least one officer being injured and uh, three fans being arrested. And what happened was, uh, according to this article, Patrick Flynn, a 29-year-old resident of Brighton, Massachusetts, was arrested uh, after this this whole incident went down. Um, he, uh, he, along with two other people, uh, uh, one of which was a relative of Flynn's, were also arrested. Kyle Flynn, 26, of Arlington, Virginia, was also arrested. And 29-year-old Lauren Alcatraz was arrested as well, the counts were all, let me see here. Suspicion uh, felony battery on a police officer resulting in injury and resisting arrest. That was for Patrick Flynn. Um, Kyle Flynn was arrested on suspicion of one misdemeanor count, of, uh, count each of being drunk in public and obstruction of justice, and Alcatraz was on suspicion of a misdemeanor count of obstruction of justice. Um, apparently, according to the, uh, the, the Santa Clara police captain, Wahid Kazim, Unruly fans had been given a warning about their behavior earlier in the game while in their seats, which were in the first and second rows of Section 121, just above the Giants' sideline. The fans were allegedly causing distractions to players and team personnel on the field. Uh, uh, Kazim said that their actions were determined to be in violation of the stadium's code of conduct policy. When uh, officers arrived to escort them uh, from their seats, uh, they refused, and a scuffle ensued. Uh, resulting in Patrick Flynn and one of the officers actually going over the railing onto the playing field, wow. which is a little bit of a drop. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, afterwards, uh, there was, uh, Flynn continued to resist arrest. They had to taser him. Um, the officer suffered minor injuries, minor to moderate injuries, and treated at a hospital, and then being released. And then. Um,
1: at a sports contest.
0: Exactly. <laughs> this so, is crazy. Look. I mean, and 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 what's funny about this is I want to I want to actually um, give a quick plug to uh, my former partner on the radio show The Strike Zone, uh, Kurt Mackinson. You know he had an article about this because he writes for G Men HQ, and obviously the Giants are not having a very good season. And the the funny line that he came up with was, you know, whereas the the players are not getting you know down and dirty and bloodied as they continue to play, at least their fans are. Which is kind of like, and and here's the most ironic part: Uh, Patrick Flynn was wearing a Janoris Jenkins jersey, and Jenkins is being accused of basically laying down and not playing hard for the Giants because he knows it's a losing season and he's not going to risk his injury, his his body bodily injury, basically because he knows the team's not going anywhere. So there's a little bit of irony there, but regardless of that, the point here is that you know we understand that. Um, there is some, some displeasure with the way the Giants are playing, Okay? We totally get that. That doesn't mean that you have the right as a fan to go to the game and act in a way that is against the uh, stadium's code of conduct policy. You know, you can't just go and distract people like that. You can't, you can't yell stuff. I mean, I mean, you can, you can boo, you have the right to boo, you know, when things don't go your way, sure. but, but that's, that's really it. You know, you don't have the right to, to yell obscenities and to be a distraction to other fans. And I mean, we got to We need to take a step back here and realize it's just a game.
1: It goes, it goes, and it goes into the whole sportsmanship affecting the fan
0: aspect. Exactly.
1: You know, it, that falls, that's a perfect, It is a perfect uh, example of that situation mm-hmm. when it gets to the point where you're affecting adversely affecting others around you. Exactly. And when it gets to that point, when people are around you are just trying to enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. And now you have this lunatic or this, this group of lunatics who are causing this, this distraction to the point where an officer falls off the ledge yep and someone has to get tasered. Yep, that's that's embarrassing.
0: Absolutely, it's an embarrassment to, to everyone. Not to everyone, the Giants fans, the, the organization, know, or, yeah, the, the everything. It's just it's it's just really a shame. Mm-hmm. And and we hope that um, we hope that the officer is okay. Right. And anyone and,
1: involved in the incident.
0: Yeah, we just you know we we want people to understand that these types of actions are not acceptable. You know, if you go to a game, go there and have a good time. If you're play, if your team's playing horribly mm-hmm. you know yeah so be it you know if you the the old adage is if you don't want if you don't like the way that your, your team is playing don't go to the game right you know don't give them the money yep yeah. you know so so that's the first one and the second one this is coming from The Times uh, affiliated with nj.com the old times of Trenton the Trenton Times if you will right you know this is coming from the issue released on Saturday November 18th and the headline reads, Amid bullying allegations, coach is fired. And basically, what which happened... is
1: already that already sounds exactly terrible.
0: Now, this is gonna, clearly going to be an article about uh, puppy dogs and candy canes. So, you know, if you're if you're into the holiday spirit, you're going to love, love this article. Oh, I can't wait! Uh, I am gonna I am gonna go get myself a nice peppermint mocha, and just. Enjoy this with some holiday tunes. Sounds great. You know, nothing like the idea of, you know, Master Shake singing Jingle Bells and just, you know. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, okay, so this article is by Keith Sargent for the Times of Trenton. And the summary here is that there is a sophomore at Rutgers who was on the uh, swimming team, and she contemplated suicide. She she was having a lot of issues with... um, with, with with depression, anxiety, suicide, things like that, all because she was on the swimming team, and uh, the the grueling nature of being on that team was just getting to her. Ultimately, what happened in the story was, with the pressure on her, she dis- she she considered one night in December 2015 of driving into oncoming traffic to end her life. One month later, she told the the Rutgers swimming coach, uh, Petra Martin, she was struggling with with this. Uh, specifically, the the grueling practices, the emphasis on cutting weight, and the overbearing nature of the program. And Martin put her arm around her and said that they would get through this. Okay, that's all well and good, right? Yeah. Then you turn to page A seven.
1: Well, let me let me let me just say that a coach, and this falls under the category of coach, is supposed to be someone you have confidence in. Correct. And it's even outside of the sport. Mm-hmm. If something is bothering you in real life, that doesn't that's not germane to what's going on. Um, you know, a sport, a coach is someone you you can go to right. to sort of uh, explain your issues, and they should be able to provide you with advice, salient advice that will help you.
0: They're supposed to be these these mentor figures that you can trust in in times of of trouble and and times of of you know just. Uncertainty, You know, very similar to what you might consider to be, you know, like a minister or a guidance counselor or, you know, I mean, exactly. I could, you, know, you could go on and on about what you know about that. But regardless, um, anyway, the next day after a January 15th, 2016 swim meet against Penn State, Martin singled out the swimmer as a, quote, bad teammate in front of the other athletes in a withering locker room speech uh, that basically said uh, she said the the, the anonymous swimmer said, uh, and she she chose to be anonymous because she's still a student at the university, that whole bus ride back, I just felt like I needed to be punished because I was this horrible teammate and every negative thought that I had until this point was validated. I felt like I should have finished the job in December. Take a second to think about how heavy that is, that she's now thinking at that point she should have taken her own life, Mm -hmm. okay? Ultimately, what happened was that let me let me just read this paragraph directly here. Her story came to light during an NJ Advanced Media investigation into allegations of abuse in Martin's swimming program. Martin, according to interviews with former swimmers and parents of students who were on the team, shamed athletes over their weight, used ab- abusive language during training sessions, and demanded they stop using medication prescribed by their doctors for anxiety and other issues. Then she was fired. Okay? And and really there was there the the, the university has not raised any, uh, you know, said much other than obviously that they were aware of the situation and that they made the determination. But, I mean, this, this whole thing has gotten so far out of hand. Um, you know, they talk a lot in this article about uh, Mike Rice tactics. Mike Rice was the, um, the, the, the men's basketball coach at Rutgers who was physically and verbally abusing players. Um, you know, they, they, they interviewed parents of former swimmers uh, they 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 interviewed uh, members of the swim team from previous seasons and whatnot. Um, in this one instance here, Barbara Brotman, who was a member of the swim team from 2013 until last season, said swimmers were put through drills designed to have them hold their breath underwater for as long as they could while swimming the width of the pool. Swimmers quote were on the verge of blacking out. People were peeing themselves because they had no oxygen left, she said. And I had to highlight this part because uh, Sean told me I should, and it's a very good one. She goes on to say, "Quote, that was I guess her way of showing us who's boss. I lost the love of this sport within a month of having her as a coach."
1: That's disgraceful. It is. It is to have us to have an athlete on your team as a coach tell tell a a, a media outlet I sh- I have become disenfranchised with this sport because of one person mm-hmm.
0: who's in a That's, position of authority. That is the ultimate disgrace. Amen. Amen. And ultimate. We, we bring this up not necessarily because of the legal aspect of it or because, uh, but because this clearly is a violation of good sportsmanship. At, at, at once this kind of stuff happens it's no longer a scenario where kids youth athletes student athletes of any age are able to use uh, their athletic ability and the experiences within competition to have these fantastic experiences to build upon the rest of their life with. Uh, it becomes a burden it, to, to put it lightly. you know it becomes yeah. it becomes a travesty. And um, you know it, it, it's akin to what happens at lower level athletic competitions where parents and coaches just take it way too seriously. And I got news for you, okay? this is collegiate swimming okay this isn't not that it makes it okay but by comparison this isn't college football this isn't college basketball which are the two arguably biggest collegiate sports mm-hmm. in this country this is collegiate swimming doesn't really get broadcast on tv doesn't get a lot of got a lot of play in the media and this is what's happening mm-hmm. okay how many how many people that our collegiate swimmers go on to have a career in swimming professionally. Right. Okay? I got news for you. Doesn't happen not many. Okay? <laughs> so 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 the point here is that you know, it's not like this person these 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 swimmers are preparing for a career in professional swimming. Again, that doesn't make it okay, but by comparison it shows you that it's just not it's just not worth it, and it also
1: shows you that this can happen anywhere, absolutely, in any sport, in any form of competition, in
0: any walk of life. No one's immune from it. I mean, it can happen in in the world of business. You know, mm-hmm. it can happen within the, within the the confines of a corporation. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens everywhere. So, we we really wish the best uh, to these people who are the victims of this this poor behavior, and um, you know, we 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 encourage those who were victims. At Rutgers in this program or in any program really, uh, to reach out to us if you need anything. You know, we we may not be able to offer necessary financial support, but we can definitely offer you our peace of mind and our thoughts and our prayers and, and a
1: shoulder to lean on.
0: Exactly, and we we encourage you to to do that if you need us. So we're there if you need us. Absolutely. So that concludes TIFIS, if you will. Great. This fortnight in sportsmanship. <laughs> I love that. I I swear, we I mean does anybody
1: have a better title? Really? I don't know. I mean again, if you have a suggestion
0: for a better title. Give us a a holler. You all right? Drop us a line. Yeah. So so with that out of the way, uh, let's move on to the meat and potatoes of our of our discussion today. I um, love meat and potatoes. Actually,
1: I don't like meat. I don't eat meat anymore, but I love potatoes. Potatoes
0: are very good. Yes. You know? Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, we're going to talk about the role of the media with regard to sportsmanship in in society today. Um, Sean brought this up a couple of weeks ago when we when we were talking about about this. So, <clears throat> with that in mind, Sean, why don't I let you do you know a, a nice introduction here sure. as to why we're talking about this and what it's what it's all about and what we hope to accomplish, et cetera.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start by reading an essay by a high school student. Um, his name is Ryan Flaherty, and he went to uh, Bellerica Memorial High School in uh, Massachusetts, and he was the 2004—obviously, this was a while ago—but he was the 2004 winner of the Massachusetts Massachusetts Interscholastic Athletic Association Essay Contest on sportsmanship. And uh, I'm going to read his essay, and i have just as a springboard into the discussion. Right. So the media has a profoundly negative effect on sportsmanship. In this day and age, the media glorifies individual violence and the big play. The good sportsmanship of the majority is overlooked in favor of the negative actions of the minority. The indifference of the media to an athlete's morals on the field is threatening the very existence of proper sportsmanship in the world today. A true sportsman or woman tries to play a sport in the way that most benefits his or her team, regardless of personal glory. The media does not support this philosophy. The media is in constant search of a hero, wishing to capture viewers or readers with tales of tremendous individual feats. The focus comes to lie on a single athlete's accomplishments rather than the team's. Undoubtedly, there are professional athletes who, through their team has though their team has lost a game, can sleep easy knowing that the highlights of their monstrous home run or flashy goal will be on Sports Center that night. This is the wrong message for young athletes, who know measures success. Who now measure success in victories, not in victories, but in personal batting average or touchdowns scored. Winning is not everything, but athletes should hold a team victory in higher esteem than a personal one. Not only does the media downplay good sportsmanship, it actually encourages conduct that is clearly unsportsmanlike. In hockey, rules allows, allow players to fight on the ice without interference from referees. This seemingly strange rule exists to draw television viewers to the sport because, like sex, violence sells. It is possible to expect a young athlete to act Is it possible to expect a young athlete to act in a dignified manner when these athletes see professional role models brawling on the field of play? Excessive celebrations, taunting, and arguments with officials have become commonplace and are played over and over on networks such as ESPN. If poor sportsmanship continues to be portrayed as acceptable on the national stage, there's little hope of good sportsmanship surviving into the next generation. Overall, the media has done great harm to the integrity of athletics in the United States. By glorifying the individual over the team, the media is breeding a nation of showboats, prioritizing their own image above all else. It would be for the good of all athletes as well as fans, and that's important, if this nation's media covered sports as they were meant to be covered, as a contest between two teams, not a showcase of individual players.
0: We should just end the podcast right there. Like that uh, says that it pretty all. Much says you know everything. We'll see
1: you next week, folks. And yeah. it's clear why this this kid won this competition. Yeah, that he brilliantly. I mean, obviously, it was in a way almost a little bit scathing, but I feel like it was almost necessary. Agreed. Um, you know, we have we have placed as as Ryan had said in his essay the the feats of an individual or the or the faults. Of an individual over the success or loss of a team, and that is becoming that more and more. And this was in 2004, mind you, it is now 2017. While recording this podcast, and it is 10 times worse, I feel I agree nowadays, even been even than 13 years mm-hmm. ago. So, um, I think this is a good springboard into the media with 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 regard to their role in sportsmanship and how important of a role they play um in in broadcasting what is supposed to be an unbiased and um in a lot of ways during the time of broadcast unopinionated mm-hmm. contest right um you know let the opinions come in afterwards when, when, when we have enough time to, to get analytics behind it. But during a course of play, and this is my opinion, (laughs) even though, and even though we're talking about, you know, not being opinionated, but this isn't, we're not, you know, calling a sports contest right now, but, um, it's, it's really important to examine this, um, as the fifth uh, as the fifth element in a group of of individuals or groups that can af- that sportsmanship can affect. Wasn't that a movie? Fifth Element. Pretty
0: good movie. Oh, okay. Oh. Continue. I, enjoy- I enjoyed. I'm it. I'm glad you did. Um, Meat so, and potatoes.
1: So I think, I think that, I think we this is a great springboard to get the conversation going. I agree. on On the impact that media has with regard to sportsmanship. I
0: completely agree, and it's you know as you mentioned. The the idea of keeping opinions <laughs> out of it to a certain degree, um, you know. Let's take the idea of when a a sport contest is a sporting contest is, is televised live and broadcast live, um, whether it be television or radio or you know streaming. And we we'll say visually or audibly. You know, um, orally. Orally, <laughs> is not a word yet. Yet. (laughs) So either visually you're seeing the sport on TV or the internet or something, or someone is doing an audio broadcast, either you're streaming it or you're listening in your car or something like that. Usually you have... Two people, sometimes three, maybe, but you have a play-by-play person who's describing the the action as it goes along, mm-hmm. and then you have a color commentator or two, you know, depending upon the nature of the broadcast and what. How big the game is, exactly. Let's you know, see
1: what time of season it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the idea is that between this, you know, the the, the the play-by-play guy, you know, or girl, says, you know, is doing the, you know, and the pitch, outside ball one, you know, basically just kind of. I remember Michael Kay saying that. It's, you're supposed to be doing it like you're just talking to someone in your living room, you know. I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. All right, fine. The 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 analysts, the color analysts, are supposed to be they're usually their former players or people who have insight into into the game, and it is about providing some knowledge uh, regarding the action that they're seeing from their standpoint to try and you know give the viewer uh, a little bit more of an idea of what's going on. The problem is that we have reached a point where those opinions or that, that information has become so opinionated from time to time that it it, it really leaves you to be uh, bothered and, and almost to a point where you want to turn off the game because of who's broadcasting the game. Um, I mean, I can think of a bunch of different um, broadcasters. I mean, I, I know that a lot of uh, let's stick to color commentators right now specifically mm-hmm. because I think that if we were to get into just the play-by-play people, you know that's an argument in itself. Um, you know, a lot of people bring up someone like a Joe Buck or something like that, and that to me that's a different argument because um, you know there, it, 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 it's so much more gray. There's not a lot of evidence to to uh, you know other than just people's opinions of it. But but look at someone like. Um, you know, like a Hawk Harrelson who was doing Chicago White Sox games. I mean, or... um, Paul uh, O'Neill? Paul O'Neill who does Yankees games. Keith Hernandez who does Mets games. There's a lot of, like, opinionated, almost hatred that comes out of their analysis sometimes that makes you have to take a step back and say, what is in your DNA that causes you to be this way? What, what, I, mean, it, I, it, I mean, it sounds funny, but it's a serious question. I mean, let's take Paul O'Neill, for example, okay? Who was known as a hot tempered. Right. Let's, you know, let's, 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 I mean, O'Neill was such a hot tempered warrior. I mean, he was known as the Warrior, which was the nickname that, that Steinbrenner gave him, okay? Right. He would get so animated over calls from umpires and whatnot that it would usually lead to some sort of display. Um, I can think of a, of a of a of an incident last season where uh, Chase Headley got ejected by home plate umpire Adrian Johnson as the Houston Astros were in town uh, playing the Yankees. And what happened was there was a pitch up and in. Uh, it hit Headley, but Johnson didn't have it hitting him. He thought it hit the, the knob of the bat and not his hand. Okay. Okay. Former, Common. yeah. Former Yankee Brian McCann is catching. So Headley, who's friendly with McCann, obviously since they were just teammates, right? You know, he's he's upset because he thinks the call was just missing. He should have been awarded first base. And and McCann says, you know, basically just trying to say, you okay, you know, did that, you know, did I hit you? You know, and and Headley, you know, like says says yeah, it did hit me in a very kind of like frustrated tone. Obviously, the guy probably just got hit. You know, mm-hmm. so and Johnson. The home plate umpire comes out and starts having an argument with him, with with Headley, and Headley gets into it like almost instantaneously. Like you would think that Headley would probably have a little bit more of a cooler head to prevail, where he would say, "Listen, man, I'm not talking to you. I'm just, I'm just upset over this, you know." Whatnot. But they just, they just went at it like right away, mm-hmm. leading to his ejection. And O'Neill, who's broadcasting the game, goes on this diatribe about how. This is all Adrian Johnson's fault. He shouldn't be the one to instigate this. yada, yada, yada. And you know you want to say to him, Paul, you don't know what was said. You know we found right. out about all this stuff after the fact, right you know and, and, and we're taking their word for it. you know mm-hmm. so, so you don't know exactly what was said and it's not your place as now a media member to basically call the umpire out. On a live broadcast, right? You don't have that that right because now you're turning people against him. Mm-hmm. You know when he's probably just trying to do his job. And
1: again, this is why it's so important. Exactly, this media the media plays such a big role in sportsmanship uh, because it's 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 an outlet mm-hmm. to the fan, which and in it could be a, it could be a deadly cycle. Right, because then the fan can perpetuate it.
0: Correct, and fans usually do, yep. as we heard in that essay. Right, fans and young athletes alike probably use this t- these types of experiences to uh, model themselves and, mm-hmm. and and imitate their behavior based upon that. Right, you know how many you know you, you see a lot of young kids try and model their their game off of their their idols, you know, mm-hmm. who play the sport. It's kind of the same theory in that if we see that it's okay to to argue with umpires or referees then we're going to continue you're exactly and and we don't want that to happen you right. know it's it's okay to have a disagreement but it should never come to that right and that's you know same, the, i think the hockey example was perfect this is a sport that allows fighting and it's we're,
1: like built into the game
0: exactly and and it's it is such a ridiculous concept that we should allow fighting like that to be In in any sort of competition. Right. You know, that's just, I mean, oh, God. It just boils my blood to think about it. Mm -hmm. You know? And hockey's a great game. It's a fun game. Yeah. But it's so hard for me to watch it because I know that stuff is there. Right. Right. So...
1: So, I want to bring up another incident... Okay. uh, ...regarding baseball. Um, The Armando Galarraga perfect... Oh, almost near perfect game. Okay. Uh, And... The and the umpire that uh, I forget who you probably know who was the one that hit hit the ball that made it to first. Do you remember? Uh,
0: I can't remember who the batter was. It's going to drive me nuts. But we know that the umpire was Jim Joyce. Jim Joyce, right? Yeah.
1: And uh, he called him safe. It was the last yeah. out. It was supposed to be the last out, and it was a very short game. It was. I think he only had eighty-eight pitches. Yeah, and he was. It was a. He pitched an amazing game, mm-hmm. and Jim Joyce called the runner safe. And, um, in and, and, uh, Galarraga started to celebrate. Right. And then immediately was like, wait. And he, and he kind of cocked his head and tilted his head and smiled like, no, no way. Yeah. And, um, Jim Leland came out to, um, what he should have done was talked talked it over right. with with Jim Joyce to 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 see well can you can you talk to the other umpires right. and let's get a clearer call maybe, but he just started um, just yelling at him again. You're in that state of emotion, you know. You're about to get a perfect game. You want to, I guess, uh, adrenaline sort of prevailed right. in that in that uh, scope of things, but. Things died down pretty quick, though, uh, if I remember correctly. In the next game, uh, Jim Joyce and uh, Galarraga uh, shook hands, and it was it was it was smoothed over.
0: Jim Joyce was the home plate umpire for the next game, and Galarraga brought out the lineup card, and they shook hands That's at right. the pregame conference, and you could see the tears flowing from right down Joyce's face. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was that emotional. They, they... even after the game he called, he was yeah. upset because he knew he made the wrong call. He knew it. <clears throat> and and Galarraga even said all the right things to the media. He just says, "Listen, you know it, it happens. You know it's it's a shame, but what are you going to do?" Right. You know.
1: So what I wanted to mention was that obviously a lot of media covered this, but um, one one specific example was a former Sports uh, Center co host Keith Keith Olbermann. Uh, dedicated a special edition of The Worst Person in the World uh, segment of his political commentary show Countdown to lambasting Bud Selig's refusal to reverse Joyce's call. Uh, while Olbermann ordinarily ordinarily lists three worsts, Selig alone was awarded the title because there can only be one worst person tonight. Olbermann went on to cite Lee... Uh, McPhail's handling of George Brett's 1983 Pine Tar incident as an example of a commissioner overruling an umpire's call and discussed the matter with both Governor Granholm and documentarian Ken Burns. So I think that that's inappropriate. Agreed. Um, you know, obviously, it's coming from someone who either doesn't understand that there's a human element in baseball with regard to calling, uh, calling outs or ca- calling plays. Um, and I just think that it's, you know, it, I don't feel like there was a lot of research Agreed. done behind that. And when you're in, again, you're in this position in the media and you're, you're, you're worst person in the world. Yeah. Slight overreaction. I, I mean, come on, this is sports. Yeah. And coming from a person who's in the media, who's relatively well respected, you're you're saying things like
0: this. Saddam Hussein could be the worst person <laughs> in the world. Okay, Bud Selig is nowhere no near that, that. Okay, it's you know the the, the first of all to to, to explain things. To, to and I'm sorry. That, no, was, ahead.
1: that was a Wikipedia okay. reference, which by is the way. which
0: is where I go for all my information. Right. Okay. So go ahead. Um, to to to, to piggyback off of what you said, first and foremost. I understand that Jim Leland, the manager of the Tigers, is in the heat of the moment. And he did get ejected there and whatnot. But the, 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 the problem is that, um, you know, in that situation, your job as the manager is to keep your cool. Your job is to say to Jim, Joyce, listen, you know, I think you missed that one. And we don't have this is at a time when they didn't have replay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can you please conference with your other umpires? There are, there are four total out here. And can they maybe offer you something, some information that you didn't have? You know, because as an umpire, let me tell you this: at the very least, when you know you kicked a call that bad, okay, and you go and you conference with the other umpires and whatnot, you, you know that's that's your opportunity to say, guys, I kicked this one, I kicked this one real bad. We got to we got to change it. Okay, fine, we'll change it. You know, you you, you have to do what's right inside of you. But in, does
1: a manager have to say that in order for you to do it or can you do it by by yourself?
0: Let's put it this way. If you if you do it by yourself, it shows weakness, a certain weakness as an official. Okay. Okay. You cuz you you as an official want to show confidence right. first and foremost, okay? Now that being said that you know, you can you can go ahead and you can make some of these changes. Like I'll give you an example. Earlier this past season there was a scenario, I believe it was in Tampa, where Joe West and Hunter Wendelstedt were working a game. And West was obviously the crew chief, and I believe Wendelstedt's the number two man on that crew. And I think Wendelstedt had a call at second base on a steal, and he kicked the call. And we have replay, obviously. And, you know, it's a lot more calm now that, you know, you say, okay, if you kicked it, go to replay. It's fine. So anyway, the, the, the team challenges saying that he kicked the call. They go in to get the headsets, and as Wendelstadt and, and West are sitting there like, like waiting for, to get the headsets on and whatnot, they're talking, and Wendelstadt says to Joe, like, listen, I kicked that call. I, I know I missed it. And Joe said, okay, what do you want to do about it? He goes, well, why don't we just reverse it right now? Because there's no point in wasting our time with this. And Joe goes, okay, let's do it. And they reverse the call, and there was no argument. Because... In this scenario, obviously replay is so uh so popular at this point. It's right. everywhere. You know, all teams have, you know, a, a accessibility to replay. So you know that the team who benefited from that kicked call is looking at it like, what are we going to do? Run out there and argue? Right. We know he missed it. We just got to we just got to live with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it was a different time then when when this happened with, with Joyce. Um so regardless, the first thing is that Jim Leyland should have kept this cool and said, I need you to conference. And and knowing Jim Joyce, he would have done that because of, of how professional of an umpire he is. Right. And he probably would have said, guys, did I did I kick that call? You know? And at the very least, even if he didn't think he kicked that call, he probably would have had the the the, the presence of mind to say, this was the last out of a perfect game. I owe it to these guys to go and check with my crewmates. Right. And maybe they would have gotten it right and we would have avoided this whole thing. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, with regard to the comparison to George Brett and the Pine Tar game, mm-hmm. the situation there was that in the Pine Tar game, first of all, I'm not going to go into it too much. If you want to read about it, go on Wikipedia. It's the source for everything, as we just discussed. Right. Okay, But the rule that Tim McClellan, the, the umpire there, um, accentuated in, in, in calling Brett out for the pine tar was a rule of where it involved an interpretation and an application of a rule. It did not involve a judgment call. It was not ball strike, fair foul, safe out. It was there's too much pine tar on this bat. By rule, I have to call you out. Okay? the royals then protested that rule you're allowed to do that the mm-hmm. protest went to the commissioner's office and it was and and they overturned the call as a result of that okay that being said this call is not a judgment call the commissioner does not have the right especially without a protest being filed mm. to you know to to step in and say you know, that we need to change this. I mean, there's, you know, he can't just invoke, you know, the clause that says in the best interest of the game, I have to do this, you right. know, that's just, it just doesn't happen. So, I mean, it's, I don't know what else to say about it right. other than, you know, this is another reason why I don't have a lot of respect for Keith Olbermann, but, <laughs> right, you know.
1: Well, um, you know, that brings us to the next point, um, you know, about how these different, you know, speaking of sports center, about about how these different uh media outlets have a top 10 of incidents that occur in baseball whether it be managers arguing with umpires like the famous Bill Wellman or Phil Wellman AAA manager for the for the uh was, was it the Tennessee Braves
0: it was an Atlanta was, Braves farm team i know right. that you know
1: and and him going on the ground and you know
0: using the rosin and, bag as a hand grenade i mean and, i mean, and, yeah.
1: I mean <laughs> As comical as that is, I mean, I feel that, you know, when when OSIP, when when we, when, and as the chairperson, I'm saying this because when we highlight in, uh, incidents of bad sportsmanship, we do it for educational purposes, Correct. whereas some of the various media outlets out there use it as a form of entertainment to get viewership you know, to so raise viewership and ratings. And you got to draw the line there. You, Especially when you have incidents of players brawling, and that makes it into a top 10 of, you know, sports brawls. And I mean, it's barbaric.
0: Amen. Amen. And
1: why? You you know, it, and like this, this kid, Ryan Flaherty, had said, violence sells. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it's the society we live in, and uh, our goal as an organization, as OSIP, is to sort of reverse that that mentality and look at sports for what it is—a a friendly contest.
0: It's an escape from the troubles of life. Sometimes, right? It you shouldn't know? cause troubles, right?
1: So that just you know brings it brings me back to full circle with regard to. The media again playing a role in sportsmanship, negative sportsmanship, regarding these instances. Instances, it's I, you a know, word, that's right? the, that's the second time I've had I had a problem with that on the last episode. I believe you. On did. First on the first episode, yeah. I can't talk. About it. Um, so <laughs> this
0: is why we keep you behind a desk, right? <laughs> right.
1: So um, I do want to take it up with other sports though. Yeah, besides baseball, um, there was an. And this is a very minor incident with uh, Dan Marino when uh, he became a color commentator. I believe it was NBC, um, or it might have been a local, it might have been a regional uh, broadcast. Was it
0: HBO? Was it like Real Sports or something like that? Might have been. Yeah.
1: Maybe. I, I, yeah. So he messed up a line. Right, and I don't remember what year it was. It was a while ago. He
0: didn't have a lot of gray hair. Right. It was after his playing career, but before the hair started to gray.
1: Right. He messed up a line with other commentators and other other color commentators around on a live broadcast. On a live broadcast, and he started pounding the desk like like out of like just like a Neanderthal. Right. Like just pounding the desk like pure anger. Dude, chill out. Like this is re- like this is this is this is supposed to be fun, right? You're supposed to be making. You're supposed to be talking with the other guys about about sports and just get into this, the anal- analytics and and enjoy the the conversation. Just
0: laugh at yourself, that right. you Flubbed up a line, right? You know? Not
1: pounding the desk. And it's just, I know it's small, but it speaks volumes. I agree because you are in a, you are a former player. A good a former really good player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You people look up to you. You're gonna turn around and just acting like a barbarian, just
0: beating on a desk. Which he for- did not show in his acting chops at all when he was in Ace Ventura, by That's the way. Right. You know? <laughs> right. He came off as a as a as a lovable well, victim. Well, yeah, you I know? was gonna say he was the victim. <laughs> he was he was kidnapped mm-hmm. and you know.
1: So I you have mean, any more it's- of
0: that gum ace? Yeah. <laughs>
1: But that's an example in sports other than baseball. Um, another example is uh, a, tem- a tennis commentator, uh, and this was, I believe, this was earlier this year. Uh, Doug Adler. Um, it was a uh, it was a competition. Uh, it was with uh, Venus Williams, and um, I forget who she was playing.
0: Um, no, it's kind of. Aside, beside the point in this right. for the uh, this, but I, for I, this uh, example. Yeah.
1: Anyway, he said, uh, "Quote: Venus is all over her, and you'll see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on charging." And many viewers interpreted it as Adler referring to Williams, an African American, as a gorilla, not guerrilla.
0: G U E
1: R I L yeah. L A is in Gorilla warfare. Correct. Which he strongly denies. So nothing to do with an animal, he told Lauer. Uh, This is Matt Lauer. Lauer, Lauer. Interviewing him. Everything to do with tactics, strategy, how to win the point. And yeah, I get that. But there are, are certain things and certain situations you have to be aware of as a commenter, a commentator in sports where... You have to sort of look ahead and say things can be misconstrued.
0: Especially in this day and age.
1: Especially, right. So people need to be extra careful Agreed. regarding what they say. Um, another example that that falls uh, into this same um, type of um, scenario is uh, ESPN had a writer who remained uh, anonymous, I think for legal reasons, mm-hmm. Um, he was fired, the employee uh, was responsible for writing an offensive headline about basketball sensation, Jeremy Lin, and I believe this was a couple this years ago. This was a ago. couple
0: years ago, when he was on the Knicks.
1: And suspended an anchor who used the same ethnic slur um, that the, the writer said, and the headline read, chink in the armor. Right. Referring to the, uh, the Knicks' loss Eighty-nine to eighty-five loss, um, to end their to, their winning streak. Right, yeah. Against New Orleans, the New Orleans Hornets. So again, this is a situation that involves multiple people. It's right. not just the writer. And we were discussing this beforehand. The writer was the one who wrote the headline. What about the editor? Right. The editor the should qu- be looking at the this quality and saying,
0: control.
1: You realize who you're referencing? Yeah. This is extremely offensive
0: And that, that I think raises a very interesting point that you can make not to disagree, but to, to, to in order to get this out there for public consumption, let's examine that scenario when compared to the Venus Williams scenario. The commentator uh, doing the tennis probably you know you, I feel like you can make the argument that you can give him the benefit of the doubt because he's doing this live, you know. He maybe he did mean it the way that he said that he meant it, right. okay? So from the standpoint of innocent until proven guilty, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, sure, <clears throat> I would be apt to say, okay, i I believe you, you know I, I understand what you're coming, what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I can't hold this against you because there is that reasonable doubt. You're doing this live, you probably don't have the ability to think about it, although. We would like you to try to think about it a little bit more. Right. You know, I know it's hard in the moment, but see what you can do as a member of the media to say, let me see if I can think about this and, and phrase it in a better way that's not going to come off as, as something that's going to be misinterpreted. On the flip side, in the story with Jeremy Lin, it's not that, you know, someone doing commentary was saying this live on a broadcast. but it wasn't off the cuff. This was something that was typed into a computer. Premeditated. And had to go through X number of steps to get printed. Right. And then the same thing happened with this separate ESPN anchor who Mm -hmm. used the same phrase. In both of those scenarios, how is it that something like that slips through the cracks? That exactly that is inexcusable, right? Because I understand. Look, look, we all have a sense of humor, okay? We we try and and laugh at ourselves as much mm-hmm. as we can. We try not to take things too seriously. We joke around all the time, but but not everybody's that way, right? And you have to understand and be and be somewhat empathetic towards people who may not see it your way, right?
1: And, and that falls under again. This is a this is a a situation. Involving sportsmanship, you, you have to consider other people's feelings, correct? You can't just assume that everyone is going to have the same thoughts or the same sense of humor or the same mentality as you do. And in with regard to the both of these um, incidents, you especially the one with Jeremy Lynn, you got to take a step back and wonder what were these guys thinking?
0: Uh, through every step of the way. You know, it's funny because I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, in case you didn't know this about me, uh, I'm male. And and I grew up as an adolescent male. And uh, through my 20s, I was still male. Okay? I, I, I don't know if I'm breaking any news here. But as a result, the male mind and i'm sure many males will attest to this or they will deny it and their female counterparts will let them hear about it the male mind sometimes doesn't have the frontal lobe developed to a point where they you know that filter works where they right. say you know maybe i shouldn't say that or yeah. i shouldn't do that right so i completely understand and can empathize with with other men who do stupid stuff like this because I've done stupid stuff like this,
1: right? But since only fifty percent of the world is male, we've we've got a little bit of a discrepancy,
0: uh, just a teeny teeny <laughs> bit. And the point I'm trying to make is that I'm not trying to excuse it and say that it's okay. And you know, it's just that look, we as a society and as as a human race, we have to continue to improve upon ourselves. We have to just mm-hmm. try and always make ourselves better. And that's not to condemn us for it. That's to say, look, if you make a mistake, you own it. You say I'm going to do better next time.
1: That's all it is. And like with this guy Doug Adler, who who you know mentioned guerrilla warfare, um, even though he meant it in a in a probably you know there was no there was no harm, he meant it not to be harmful. There still had to be action taken, right? Or else there would be more repercussions against the network. Um, so. Yes, I see what where you know where he was coming from with regard to uh, using the word gorilla in a in a way in in a matter of clandestine warfare. But again, you have to consider. Let me ask you a question. Other people's feelings. Let me ask you this: yeah.
0: completely random. Okay. Did not talk about this in pre-production. I at love all. random okay. questions. Okay. Hey, you did this to me last time when we talked about the media and yep, whatnot. Great. It was a surprise. So here's okay. a surprise back for you. Oh, good. What do you think would have happened had the network defended him and said, come out with a statement that said, while we understand the backlash to this, we understand that this could have been interpreted incorrectly and are remorseful for that. We support our employee and take him at his word when he says he did not mean for this to be intended the way that it was, and perhaps they mm. say like you know we have instructed him to try and do better in the future to refrain from using this you know th- these words because it could be misinterpreted, but ultimately we feel that this is not uh, a grave sin that requires sanctions.
1: I think in the long run, the result would have been the same. Okay. And the reason why I think that is because, when 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 stuff like this occurs, it's always um, done immediate action. You know, we're we're a society that re, that relies on instant gratification, and we need stuff done now. Right. So I think, as in, it was almost an impulse in a way of firing. Adler for mm-hmm. his com- for his comments um and I feel that if they supported him you would have had backlash from fans f- uh over Twitter over uh Facebook over all these uh, social media outlets perhaps some people would have boycotted you know the the sport tennis um uh, as a result um but I think that would have gone away after a while not to, not to downplay the right. incident in
0: any form, shape or form, um, but I think the result would have been the same. So you, you, could, you could make the case that perhaps the network says, okay, in the immediate reaction to this, we're going to suspend him in order for us to investigate this. And after getting the opportunity to investigate it, they might say, okay, we've determined that... You know we have to we have to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yada yada yada. Um, You know we've come to a compromise on some sort of penalty. You know maybe he you know decides to take a you know a a sensitivity class, or maybe he decides to donate to charity. There has to be
1: some repercussion. Obviously, he can't get away scotch free. Um, But you know the, the the firing him impulsively. Um, you know, again, in the long run, this, I I think the result is the same, right. But in that, in that instance, I think firing him without, I mean, he had his side of the story, obviously, but, but I feel that, yeah, I think Suspending him while investigating and and, and giving out a penalty of some way, in some way, shape, or form, like what you just said, would be appropriate as well. Um, I'm not saying that firing him wasn't inappropriate. Um, You know, I would need to do a little bit more research behind the situation before commenting further on it. But, but. again we as a society have this instant gratification right. we needs we need stuff done now
0: cuz i would extrapolate upon that to say that okay let's let's empathize with with the the quote unquote defendant here mm-hmm. okay let's say in his heart of hearts he really truly did not understand what he said you know he just didn't think you know, he, he it was an honest mistake he didn't think right. it through okay let's say he then fights it, any sort of suspension, any sort. I mean, you. you I, okay, I understand. Maybe in your contract you say you can be suspended with pay, you know, based upon pending investigation and whatnot. But then let's say they come back and they say, okay, we've decided not to, um, you know, levy any punishment or any or sanction or anything like that as right. a result of that. Because if he maybe let's say if they tried to, what if he came back and said. I absolutely refuse this because I know what I—I I didn't do anything wrong. I understand it's a misinterpretation, but I don't feel any any sort of guilt here. I'm sorry. I'll mm-hmm. try and do better next time. But how dare you try and punish me? And to which he might say, "If you try and punish me, I will sue you." You know, and if you get into a court of law, right. now all of a sudden you're really getting into innocent until proven guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wonder if there was that. You know, in that scenario, yeah. there would have been that sort of a. Um, uh, of a situation that would have ar- arisen as well. And we also don't know the. Arose? Arose? Aris? Ar- I can't talk either. Yeah. I need to go to my room. <laughs> but. <laughs> the, which is right upstairs. Which is right upstairs. <laughs> right upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being is that we also don't know the exact specifics of this. We don't know, right. you know, maybe something was worked out internally that wasn't shared shared with the, the right. general public. So, right. but just something to think about. Yeah. You know, because because none of these scenarios. Are as black and white as we make them out to be, even the ones that seem black and white. We are, you know, to a point where we really need to take a step back and say, okay. Exactly. Empathy and compassion are things that go a long way. And we talk about it, we've talked about it in everything that we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it goes a long way in all sorts of sportsmanship, whether right. it's the simplest form mm-hmm. of, of, don't, of treating others as you would wish to be treated mm-hmm. or something that deals with the media. Right. So, I mean, we keep coming back to this. Yeah. You know, It's a full circle effect that always happens. I
1: almost think that this should be part one, media part one
0: of, of Listen, the podcast. I think that every topic we've covered on this podcast so far is considered part, part one, one. Yeah. because this conversation will go on forever. Yeah. It, it's always evolving. Right. There's never a, a change or a point of repose right. other than maybe for the end of the podcast for that, that particular episode. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, yeah. Have we reached that point of repose? I, I believe so. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation, yeah. <laughs> you know? So Good to have
1: our bases covered.
0: Uh, I see what you did there.
1: Yeah. Get it?
0: it has been gotten. So, I I need to go to my room. Again, again, right up, <laughs> right upstairs. Uh, well, uh, my thanks to you, Sean, for being here again. Uh, always a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Um, we got it. We'll, of course, be doing this again. Absolutely. So uh, thank you again to everyone who listened once again. We we encourage your participation. Podcast at OSEPfoundation.org. Facebook.com slash Foundation. Twitter is at Foundation with the hashtag HowYouPlayTheGame. And rate this podcast. And subscribe. Give and
1: us plenty of stars. Everything.
0: Everything under the sun. All right? So we will be back to talk to you uh, in about two weeks in the middle of December. So until then... Everyone take care and treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan, music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osipfoundation.org. If you're interested in advertising on How You Play the Game, please email us at podcastosipfoundation.org. At dot org.